Welcome to Pastor Matters, the podcast of the Center for Preaching and Pastoral Leadership at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We hope this conversation will both equip and encourage you to lead healthy churches that make disciples for the glory of God. Hey, I'm Chuck Lawless. We're glad to have you for this episode of Pastor Matters. And I'm Caleb Iverson. And Dr. Lawless, I'm excited to join you today on the podcast. We're talking again uh, this week, Caleb, about spiritual warfare. Mm -hmm. We spent last week talking about my understanding and and really where I began to study the the topic of spiritual warfare and how that's affected me personally. I really want to move today into the relationship between spiritual warfare and evangelism. Yeah. Dr. Lawless, maybe a good place to start. Uh, I know you mentioned last week we kind of looked at Ephesians 6 and a couple other passages. As we're talking about spiritual warfare and evangelism, what are some scriptures that speak to this topic and would really be helpful for us to think about this topic? I, I mentioned last week that I, I really began looking at spiritual warfare out of my own personal issues. As I, as I broadened that study, I looked more at how the enemy attacks believers and ultimately how the enemy fights against the church. And in, in the context of that study, it became apparent to me as we look at the scriptures, particularly Paul's writings, that he often describes lostness in terms of spiritual conflict. Hmm. And what I want to do is just take a minute and walk through some text to to let our listeners hear the text. And they may hear me turning the pages of my Bible here, but but I'm good with that because I want us to I want us to hear the word. And so let me start in Ephesians two, verses one to three. And in particular I want us to hear the recognition that as lost people apart from Christ, we're following the the prince of the power of the air. Here's what Paul wrote. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too are previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath, as the others were also. Following the, the ruler of the, of the air. We, we may not like that picture as we think about people we love mm. who are non-believers. But as I read these texts, it seems to me this image is so recurrent that we can't get away from this. I think about, I think about my older sister who's not yet a believer. I think about a buddy that's that I love deeply, who's who's not following Christ. And I don't necessarily like the images that they're caught in the devil's trap that I'll, I'll show us here in just a minute in 2 Timothy. But the text is there. Mm-hmm. And so I read Ephesians 2, and I see we follow the, the prince of the power of the air. Then let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I'll turn there and uh, invite our listeners to do the same. Turn the pages here. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, Paul writes, If our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Blinded. Mm-hmm. Blinded by the God of this age that they, they might not see the light of the gospel. And the enemy's desire is to keep them in that darkness, to keep them blinded. Colossians 1 is the next, the next text. Colossians 1, verses 13 and 14. 
13 talks about where we were apart from Christ. Then the text combined tell us what God does for us in grace. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the son he loves. In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. So where were we prior to knowing Christ? We were in the in the domain of darkness. Mm, yeah. We all were. I was. You were. Mm-hmm. The folks that are on our hearts, same same condition. Then 2 Timothy chapter 2. I'm reading verse 26, the last verse of that of that chapter. Paul again writes, Then they may come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Caught in the the snare of the devil, mm-hmm. held held captive. And then finally, Acts 26. In Acts 26, the Apostle Paul is giving his testimony. And as he does that, he, he quotes Jesus. He recites Jesus when Jesus speaks to him uh, on the road to Damascus. And I'll pick up in verse 17, but it's really verse 18 that helps us to understand the state of our lostness. I will rescue you from your people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes. So there's that sense of blindness again. To open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light. There's mm-hmm. the domain of darkness from Colossians 1. And from the power of Satan to God. That they may receive forgiveness of sins and a share among those who are sanctified by faith in me. In darkness, blinded, under the, under the power of Satan. So I put all of those texts together, and obviously Paul so so recurrently uses that image that he wants us to see this as, as a as a matter of spiritual conflict that we are following the prince of the power of the air. We're blinded by the god of this age. We're living in the domain of darkness. We're caught in the devil's trap. We're living under the power of Satan, blinded by the enemy again. Uh, that our eyes might be opened when grace comes to us. So you put all of that together. And you see, we're trying to reach people that the devil wants to keep in that darkness. Yeah, the first thing that makes me think of is, is wow, the power of the gospel for salvation. When you think about those, those words that you're just describing of our fallen state, you know, captive, blind, you know, we were ensnared by Satan, and we needed a redeemer. We needed a rescuer. And, and when you think about the topic of evangelism, you know, oftentimes we put a lot of pressure on ourselves. We know that salvation is up to the Lord, and the Lord yes. is the one that changes hearts and souls. But I think when you consider the, this topic of spiritual warfare involved in it as well, it's like, wow, I really need to pray and ask for the Lord's help to be with me, to give me boldness, and for the Spirit to move. Because unless He is doing the work to change hearts and minds, and, you know, you said Second Corinthians 4, where the veil is torn away, um, that's not something that we can do ourselves. Yeah, you got it. In, in fact, God has called us to do the impossible. Yeah, yeah. We, we cannot open blinded minds. We cannot on our own transfer people from the kingdom of darkness. And yet, and yet we're called to make disciples of all the nations of the world. Mm. And that sense of Matthew 28 is everything from sharing the gospel with a non-believer to leading that non-believer to Christ to baptizing that, that new believer in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teaching that new believer to obey everything Jesus commanded, including turning around and making disciples himself. And so that's our task. But it's a task that you and I cannot do. Mm-hmm. And understanding that we are engaging the darkness when we choose to, to share the gospel 
is a reminder that we must have the power of God in our lives to to get this task done. Mm-hmm. It makes me think a lot of the encouragement of Acts one eight when. Jesus says, you know, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And it's, it's not that we have some super, supernatural power within ourselves, but, man, the fact that this is God's mission to redeem the nations and that he would call us and invite us to join him in the task and even use us through our words, through our, our faithful sharing of the gospel, through our prayers to bring people to redemption. Um, man, that's just such a wonderful privilege yeah, and, and in fact, as you, if we read the expressions of the Great Commission in the, in the New Testament, Matthew 28, Jesus tells us, this is what we do, and he says, I'm with you always, mm-hmm. even yeah, yeah. to the end of the age. We don't, we don't do this alone. There's a reason he says, I'm with you, because we can't do it apart from him. In Luke 24, Jesus tells his disciples that they're to, they're to preach repentance, forgiveness of sins to all, to all the nations. But he also says to them, you go to Jerusalem and you wait for power from on high mm. before you start this work, because you can't do this. In in John twenty, when when Jesus tells his disciples, "As the Father sent me, so so send I you." The next thing we read is that Jesus breathes on them the Holy Spirit. And to your point in Acts one, we will be God's witnesses, but that comes as as we've received God's power. Mm-hmm. So God, who calls us to do this work, empowers us to to get it done. So what is that? How does that change how we think about evangelism? You know, you think about we talked about last week how spiritual warfare you can fall into two streams of like a devil behind every bush or just not even acknowledging a spiritual presence at all. And and we're looking in the scriptures and the scriptures acknowledge Satan's influence and lostness in the world. So as pastors, um, how can we think about doing evangelism well? And then how can pastors even shepherd their congregations to think about this topic in light of evangelism? Yeah, let's talk about implications of this first, and then we'll think about what, what do we do with this as, as pastors. Because I think there are a number of things we need to think about yeah. as we equip our people to do evangelism. Let me just list some. One, I think one of Satan's subtle strategies is to redirect our attention away from reaching the lost. And that is that we get so caught up in the work, the internal work of the church, and it's stuff we have to do. As we, as we shepherd the, the sheep and as we raise up others, we equip them to do the work of ministry. Those are the things that we have to do. But I think sometimes what happens, even for us as pastors, is we get disconnected from this work of, of evangelism. We get, we get caught in the bubble, mm-hmm. and yeah. the bubble feels safe. The bubble feels comfortable. The bubble is busy. We always have things to do. But, but consequently, what happens is we don't even know lost people that we need to, we need to reach. And so I think... I think one implication is we have to think about our own lives. Can I name people that I'm praying for? Can I name people that I'm investing my life in theirs? Can I name people that, that I want to, to lead to the Lord? Am I that burdened about them as a pastor that I'm not, I'm not just calling my people to do evangelism. I'm, I'm doing it first. Mm-hmm. So one implication is we've got to look at our own lives. A second implication is this. If we do evangelism... We're asking for the enemy's attack. Mm-hmm. It's, just, it's just reality. The enemy's not alarmed when we're silent. He's alarmed when we start proclaiming the gospel to, to non-believers. And his strategy is to come after believers. That's, there's a reason that the warnings about spiritual warfare in the scriptures are written to believers. 
We're God's singular plan for getting the gospel to the nations. The plan he's given us is we're to go proclaim the gospel. The enemy knows if he can, if he can get us off the playing field, at least temporarily he gains a victory. As we talked last week, he's not the winner, ultimately. Mm-hmm. But if he, can, if he can knock us out, at least temporarily he has some victory. And so even as I say we need to do evangelism and we need to train our people to do evangelism, what that also means is we have to teach them how to wear the full armor of God, how to walk in truth and righteousness and speak the gospel of peace and trust the promises of God with the, with the shield of faith and take the helmet of salvation and, and love and proclaim the word, the, the, the sword of the Spirit. And we have to equip our people to do that even as we teach them to evangelize. I think about other implications. Prayer clearly matters here mm. because we need the power of God. We need the Spirit of God to do, to do the work. And I think about that, Caleb, because and I believe in programs for training people to do evangelism. I'm not arguing against programs. But one of my concerns is I've seen an awful lot of programs for training people to do evangelism over the years that, that help us to think about transitioning conversation to the gospel, that help us present the gospel, help us learn how to draw the net in a, in a healthy way. And all of that's good. But in far too many of those cases, prayer is just assumed. Hmm. It's not really built into the process of training. We're not really showing our people why prayer matters here. And I think that omission is pretty significant when we look at what the text says about about lostness. We have to build prayer into our evangelistic strategy. So those are some some implications that come to mind. Yeah, and I completely agree about about prayer. Um, I was sharing with you kind of off camera about uh, a mission trip that I had this summer, and uh, we were sharing the gospel and, and, you know, inviting people in the neighborhood to a food drive that the church was doing. And we were just in a rough area, and there was a lot of lostness and brokenness to where when you stepped into the neighborhood, it was something that you just could feel it. There was a weight there. And to be honest, after we left, that was the most nerve-wracking day of the whole trip mm. for me. And then they said, hey, we're going back tomorrow. Okay. And I just felt a pit in my stomach. Uh, it was one of those things of like, I do not want to go back. I was uncomfortable. I felt a weight there. I, I don't want to go. And, you know, lunch happens. We, we would go after lunch. And so I went back and I just went to my room and just said, Lord, I need you to move. I need you to help me. I, I need boldness because you know my heart. I don't want to go back. And praise God, the power of prayer worked in that day because when we came, we went to the same neighborhood. I stepped out of the van and I felt just a peace. I felt like I'm talking to you right now, just mm. a sense of just, okay, like the Lord is here. He's with me. I'm not nervous. I'm not uncomfortable. There was just a sense of surrealness there. It was like the Lord is, okay, he's working. And, you know, ultimately we actually, we hadn't led anybody to Christ the whole week. And it was that day that we got to lead two people to Christ just from door-to-door evangelism. That's great. And so that was just one example of, man, there was spiritual warfare there, I believe, of just oppression and other things. And the Lord showed up, but it wasn't because of anything I did differently. It was just saying, Lord, we need you to move. We don't want to go back. And, and he showed up, and it was all by his grace and mercy through, through prayer. Yeah, that's an honest response as, as you wrestle with those issues of, of spiritual conflict. Yeah, I've, be, I've been in places in the world, and we talked about this last week. I don't think you find demons behind every rock, but I have been in places in the world where you just sense the oppression of lostness. 
and and you know that this this is going to be a battle. This is going to be a struggle. And what we have to do is decide, are we going to rely on our own power? And if we do that, fear mm-hmm. sets in and we back off. Or will we rely on the on the power of God? I think one of the ways we do that is we we have to build into our lives, Caleb, and I say this for, for pastors, for laypersons, lay leaders, we need to build into our lives teams of people who pray for us that we will do evangelism. Hmm. I, I think about that with our missionaries that we send out. I love missionaries. They, they are heroes to me. One of the things we do with missionaries as, as we train them through the International Mission Board is we, we expect them to have prayer partners, prayer warriors, who are going to intercede for them regularly. And I'm struck by the fact that if, if we're sending them overseas into really tough, risky, dark areas, we know they need prayer partners. We know we need people praying for them. We need to be the folks praying for them. We're, we're holding the rope for them. Mm-hmm. That makes sense to us if you're getting on a plane. But if we're pastoring in our local community and we're going down the street, across the street, into the, the city center to share the gospel, I'm not, I'm not sure we're equally aware that we need prayer support. Hmm. And I'm arguing that the battle is the same. It may be more intense in places, but we're still taking the light into the darkness. Mm-hmm. We're still speaking to people caught in the devil's snare. And I don't think the answer is to, we go evangelize, and if if I'm evangelizing this person down the street, and this person shows some level of interest, then I ask people to pray. And I call my, my brothers in Christ, look, I'm talking with this friend, he seems open, would you please just keep praying for me? I want us praying then, but I don't want that to be the only time we're praying. Yeah. I want people praying for us the way the way the apostle paul requested prayer in ephesians 6 and colossians 4 paul paul said you pray for all the believers in ephesians 6 then he narrows that to say and you pray for me Mm -hmm. that i will speak the gospel boldly in colossians 4 he says i want you to pray for us that that we will speak the gospel clearly and that God will give us opportunity to speak. And so I, th- I think about that, Caleb, and this is the Apostle Paul saying, pray for me that I'll speak the gospel boldly and clearly, and I won't miss the open doors that God gives me. Well, that's, that's the Apostle Paul mm-hmm. saying that. And it, it just seems to me if the Apostle Paul, of all people, needed prayer support to do evangelism, it's quite likely you and I need that kind of prayer support, too. So we need to build that into our lives. Mm. Dr. Lawless, any other implications? Uh, we, we definitely drew out the, the idea of prayer there. And you mentioned, especially for pastors, um, it's easy for the calendar and other things to fill up very quickly. It's easy to get sucked into the demands of, of shepherding and, and shepherding the flock. But, you know, there is that call of, hey, t- Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. And so what are some other implications or maybe habits or practices pastors could implement into their lives to be more intentional? Yeah, I think this raises the question of how quickly we begin investing in discipling new believers. Mm-hmm. Because I think about a, a new believer who, who in my, my contention, is a threat to the enemy. 
He's a threat to the enemy because, one, he's on fire for, for Jesus. Uh, a new believer will tell that wall right there about Jesus yeah, yeah. and not worry about it. At the same time, a new believer is often more connected with lost people than you and I are. Mm-hmm. We mentioned this. As we get caught in the bubble, we get separated from the very people that we're called to reach when that new believer may be more connected than we are. And so in some ways, that brand new believer who's on fire for Christ and knows non-believers may be more a threat to the enemy than we are as as their shepherds. So that raises the question for me, how do we help that new believer maintain the fire, the zeal, and stay connected with lost people without being influenced wrongly by them? So that, that means for me, we have to think as shepherds, what's the strategy of our church to keep fueling the fire of that new believer? Mm-hmm. That's the way I describe discipleship. It is fueling the fire so the fire keeps burning. And how do we help that new believer reach out to lost friends without falling into that trap? And I think the answer to that is we have to learn to walk with people. Mm. We have to be with them. We don't tell them. We don't separate them from their lost friends. We go with them. So I'm there to help them, to guide them, to show them the way. If they do fall, I'm there to pick them up. It's, it's the essence of mentoring discipleship that says this battle is going to be real for you, but you don't have to fight the battle alone because, one, God is with you, and that clearly matters. God's promises; he is with us always. And I, as your brother in Christ, I will be with you too. And that's God's plan. So we cannot just send people into the war unarmed and undiscipled. Mm-hmm. We have to disciple them and go with them as we help them do evangelism. Yeah, and I, I love that you drew that point out. Um, as a younger guy, learning how to share the gospel, what, is, what does that look like? How do I do it? The thing that has helped me the most has not been the evangelism classes that I've taken at seminary or the missions classes that I've taken. Those have been very helpful. But the thing that really made it hit home for me and a desire and an urgency to share the gospel was watching older men, guys that had a little bit more experience, say, hey, you're coming with me. I had no idea what I was doing. You know, my, I mentioned a student pastor that discipled me when I was younger, and what he did is we were doing a giveaway with our church, and he said, hey, you're with me. You're in my mm. group. He didn't ask me. He just told me. And he just put me in evangelism conversations. And the first one, I watched him. The second time, I joined in the conversation. And the third one, he said, hey, you're leading it. And it was those things that really made it hit home for me. And it's that idea of Jesus does the same thing with his disciples. He models ministry for them, and then he assists them in ministry, and then he sends them out to do ministry. And, and that was really just so pivotal for me. And I just love that you're giving that advice for pastors, because as a young guy that's preparing for ministry, I know that was very impactful for me. Hey, you know what I like about that? Let me tell you that, and I'll go to another uh, implication as well, or a way to, to address some of these issues. What I like about what you just said is your student pastor didn't ask you. Yeah, he told me. He just told you. <laughs> you're with me. I I jokingly say this about discipleship, but I'm not really joking. I think we have to teach new believers what God expects them to do and get them started in the right direction Hmm. before they ever look around and realize that you can be a part of the church and not do any of that. Um, Now, we know that latter description is not right, but we also know there are a lot of people who come to our churches and they just sit. And one of the reasons young believers lose their fire 
is because they look around and see other people have lost their fire. What I want us to do is invest in people right away and not ask them, do you want to do evangelism? No, I want to say, no, we're going to do evangelism. You have a story to tell. I'm going to help you. Let's let's get at it. Well, let me, let me go back to one way that I think pastors can help address some of this issue. We recognize the condition of lost people, an enemy who's coming after us. So we have to make sure we're daily putting on the armor of God, knowing who we are positionally in Christ and practically living all of that out. But I also want us to, I want us to have some goals in mind. Um, I've mentioned this before, but I think about it this way. I want to know at least the names of five people that I am regularly praying for that they will come to know Christ. Mm -hmm. I want to be able to name them. I narrow that to, I, I want to be building a relationship with at least two people, just getting to know them, praying for opportunity and clarity and boldness to, to share the gospel. And I want to be able to name that singular person that I am most burdened about, mm. that I am fasting over, that I am praying for, that I am pleading with God to open open that blinded mind. Uh, I always want to know, and I know that's perfunctory to say five, two, and one. I understand that, but but... I recognize that for many of us, if we don't at least put some flesh on these responsibilities, have some eyeballs in front of us, some faces and some names, some burdens that are real, we're never going to move in the right direction. So I want I want pastors to start there, name, pray, invest in, love, and ask the Lord to free people from the devil's trap. Mm. Yeah, that is so helpful. Dr. Lawless, any final hopes or encouragements for pastors? Yeah, I would I would say to pastors, you have, we have, the incredible privilege of showing people what it means to so love Jesus that we almost can't help but talk about him. Hmm. The people can catch fire from us, not only from the pulpit, but they can catch fire from us in the way we lead meetings. They can catch fire from us in the way we pray for non-believers and ask them to, to pray for us. We, we have that privilege. We have that joy. And to watch other believers share the gospel too. And they, they rejoice. You see their eyes light up. Not, not only when they have a friend come to know Jesus, but their eyes light up just because they've told somebody about Jesus. And we get to do that. Mm-hmm. But that begins with our our commitment as pastors to say, I understand the seriousness of lostness, the spiritual battle we're in, but I, I so want people to know Jesus that I'm going to lead the way. Yeah, yeah, that is super helpful. You know, that's one last thing I'll say as an encouragement. I find personally my faith is never on fire as much as when I'm sharing the gospel. There's just something about telling somebody about Jesus. If you're in a slump right now, if you're, you're down, you think about somebody you can tell. Um, Jesus too, and and it will just ignite your faith and and really remember and remind you of of the truths of the gospel. And so. you're preparing for the pastorate. I pray that that passion remains in you always. Listener, thank you for joining us for another episode of Pastor Matters. And as always, if you found this conversation helpful, please consider leaving us a five star rating and review. We'd love to hear any feedback you'd be willing to give us as well. As always, it's our mission at the Center for Preaching and Pastoral Leadership to equip and encourage pastors, and I hope that we've done that with today's conversation. And as always, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, 
always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain.